haven't drawn all season and then they draw two on the bounce. A good draw against United, bad draw against Palace, we'll deep dive into both. In association with footballkitmarket.com, it's for Fox sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake, my name is Pete Selby and alongside me is Rob Hayes. Rob, Merry, well not Merry Christmas, did you have a good Christmas and kind of a happy new year because it's the last one of 2020 the year that everyone wants to kind of forget really the year that everyone wants to forget apart from all of the episodes of for fox sake that they have not wasted their time listening to uh yes i did have a nice christmas actually thank you i think um i think a lot of people including myself weren't really gearing up for it to be anything uh spectacular so in that sense it was actually pleasantly surprisingly nice i got to uh albeit briefly and socially distanced to see um most of the most of the family plenty to eat plenty to drink and uh yeah not too bad how about you yeah not bad you know is again for what it could have been it could have been a a complete write-off so and it wasn't so so there you go no very good um again lots of food uh bits and bobs of booze and and yeah and and working actually quite a lot since uh, christmas it's been quite busy so and with all the football as well it's i think um compared to a lot of people actually i've not really kind of maybe felt the lull kind of either a a pre-christmas and and post-christmas lull in between that new year which there normally is and and this year of all years it's it's been um it's been really busy so yeah it's been uh, it's been good overall now if you haven't listened to the Christmas special, then please do. It's uh, not one of those Christmas specials where if you haven't listened to it, it's kind of gone out of date. It will still be relevant for the next few weeks and that. So if you haven't listened to the For Fox 8 Christmas special, find it wherever you're listening to this podcast, either on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, however you do listen to it, SoundCloud. Then uh, go back and, and, and take a listen. It's a nice bit of fun, just really about the top players for Leicester, top players in the Premier League. And uh, also our, our wishes for the new year, our 12 days of, of Leicester City Christmas kind of thing. So, yeah, it's a nice bit of fun and it's not out of date. So that's good. Um, first of all, our sponsors as well, uh, footballkitmarket.com. Go and uh, take a look. They've got plenty of new year um, and kind of Christmas specials at the moment. There's one or two shirts I've seen which are very good. So if you're in the market for a new shirt, i.e. a new one, but an old one, so a classic shirt from any era, and it doesn't have to be Leicester, of course, head to footballkitmarket.com, and also the fact that they're a sponsor of the podcast means that it would be nice if you could as well. Also, something that we don't actually mention, which which we really should mention every week, is if you do like For Fox Sake, and hopefully you do, then uh, give us a uh, a five-star rating or whatever you want, however you listen to this. So if you are listening to it on Apple Podcasts, for example, or scroll down however you are, then uh, and then give us a rating. You can leave a comment if you want, but just give us a rating. It just means you press one thing, and uh, and it does go a long way to helping the podcast, actually. So it does actually help us. If you want to help us in one way, shape, or form, just give us a rating, uh, hopefully five, 
and um, and that's it. And it doesn't take uh, five seconds to do that. So um, it's a bit of housekeeping in order. Uh, now we've had a couple of games since our previous podcast, Rob, and I you, you kind of take things in groups, don't you? You look, and it depends on how far back you want to go, especially with Leicester's form being slightly in and out. But I've written down the previous games. You've got the, the three points against Spurs. You've got the draw against Man United. And then you've got the draw against Palace. And then with Newcastle away on the horizon on the third, which looks an eminently winnable game. I look at those and go, well, three, four, five, six, seven, eight points out of those four games, that's not a bad haul at all. If you were to look at it in a different way, maybe a draw at Spurs, uh, say, what, three points at Palace, you know, that sort of thing, you work it out to get eight points overall, what you would expect. That's not bad. Saying that, it felt like a very valuable point against Manchester United, a point that maybe we wouldn't have got last season. We would have lost that 2-1. And then you go to Palace, and then you're slightly deflated from that. Is that roughly how you feel? It is, yeah. It's it's something we've talked about before, isn't it? The the approach against the so-called bigger clubs, even though it was a, very much a, a clash of two teams that were or are still in the top four and, and are kind of points-wise, really, in the in the title race still. I say race, it's a, it's a bit of a limp along at the minute. Um, but Rogers said afterwards in his in his post-match press conference, it's um, it showed the mentality of, I think the phrase that he uses, a huge club to, um, to come back from behind twice against Manchester United. Uh, you know, it's, it's the first draw in the league of the season as well, which is... Uh, in many ways, a positive because it's it was it was very much win or lose, wasn't it, to for the, for the rest of the start of the season. So to to pick up a point was was very very good, and and the sort of the mentality, which is what we talked about a lot on this on this podcast, the greater sort of mentality of the of the club to be one of those teams that is regularly in the top six you've got to believe you're going to win every football match or at the very least, you've got to make sure that you don't lose it. And that's exactly what we did against Manchester United. Yes, a couple of days later, always going to be difficult against Palace. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't in terms of changes made. Um, and and we'll pick it apart in a bit more detail as we go through the, the episode. But, you know, ultimately, yes, it was only two points from a possible six, but two games that maybe six to 12 months ago, or possibly if, you, if you're talking about Brendan Rodgers' influence on the squad before Brendan Rodgers was Leicester manager, two games that you probably don't pick up any points from. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, I'm quite positive, in fact. I think there was a lot of negativity, and understandably so, after the, the draw at Palace. I think it was more directed towards what basically happened in the game, and uh, you can plan for any eventuality you can put out the best formation you can put out the best team or change the team and you can predict this that and the other but then things happen in the football match that you can't predict and players react in different ways they might score a screamer they might miss a penalty these things happen now the game against man united i i think that was a good point overall there was they were a dangerous side man united i know they scrambled home against 
wolves in injury time but they are a dangerous side and they've got the potential there so I don't think they're going to win the league or or really to be honest by the time we get towards the end of the league I don't think they will be kind of focused in a in a title race but that that was a, a game against Leicester where I, I feared for Leicester and then as soon as they scored after missing an earlier good chance by Rashford it was a a, a good finish by him but a little bit of fortune through Fernandez, but also maybe one or two of the defenders slightly taking their eye off the the other players rather than uh, just keeping their eye on the ball. Essentially, ball watching would be an easy kind of label to throw, but I, I thought it was quite accurate for me. And then, But then to get back in the game, and yes, you, you score a really good goal through Barnes and then, you know, late on Vardy, etc. deflection, but, but, but overall, it, it was a good point and a good performance, uh, but also slightly upgraded because it was at home as well and it's something that we've spoke about in the podcast but it's something that is, is is real and the disappointing performances at home it's not too hard to just take a look at the form and go there you go and we've got some important games at home coming up against some good sides and if we're going to stay in this top four conversation then we really need to work on that and then you look at the Palace game the, the changes made which we'll talk about by Rogers, and then the missed penalty from Inacho and Inacho missing a chance and then going behind, but then getting an equaliser late on. It's it's two very different games, even though the outcome is still the same. It's one point. Looking at United, I straight away went, well, James's ball watch there for... Um, no, James Justin is... is, is, is um, as ball watch there for for their goal. Now, slightly harsh, I think, because a few people have picked up and they said, "Well, I, I don't think so." It, it was the deflection by Fernandez. If it wasn't, uh, um, if it wasn't Toplant to Rashford, then he would have intercepted it, and then you got Fana in the mix as well. No, I don't, I don't know. For me, I I think it should have been really if the ball's on that side of the field, you need to be tight with your man. It's not like. Uh, Rashford made an arch run or maybe in Vardy style for his equaliser where the defenders were running back with Vardy and then Vardy stopped just to get that yard. I think it was picked out quite well by Alan Shearer of all people who's going to spot these sort of things on Masha Day too. There was none of that. It It landed straight to him and he was just basically standing there slap banging in the middle of the goal, what, eight yards out and... um, and side-footed at home. I think maybe, defensive-wise, it should have been tighter. Now, saying that, the ball went straight to Rashford, so he would have either been able to get possibly get a block in, but to maybe inset the ball or tackle Rashford would have been difficult because it was just one sweeping um, right-footed shot. So, you know, we can kind of debate would he have actually got there if he was tight? Possibly not. But, uh, yeah, just a, a, a few problems at the start after Rashford's missed header... And it looked a little bit like the writing was on the wall for me. It wasn't the best of starts. <laughs> Head in hands after a couple of minutes is never a good way to, to go about watching a Leicester City match. How um, Rashford's not scored that first one, by the way, I've got absolutely no idea. Uh, on Justin there, look, he's done so well so far this season. You've still got to remember that the, the guy's never played in the Championship and this is only his second season of, of playing Premier League football. You add to that the the fact that do many players in the Premier League at the moment have the reaction time that Bruno Fernandes had there to stretch and reach that ball? Now, he's not intentionally, fully intentionally guided that straight to Rashford. 
he's stretching to try and get something on it. Um, but, you know, do, do many players react that quickly? Pro- probably not. Uh, certainly not um, in the Championship or League One. Justin's not going to have come across that those kind of players that often still. And he'll be learning loads every single game. And I, I agree with you in, in a sense. He's got a little bit sucked over. Um, you always want your fullback and your centre-back to not have... Um, too big a gap between them because that's that's a really good sort of channel for somebody like Vardy, for example, to run into. As somebody like Rashford, especially when United play that front three that's very interchangeable as well. The central one can drop a little bit deeper um, at times and the two wider ones can play a little bit narrower. So you never want to leave that gap. But at the same time, you've got to be aware of where your man is, especially if, if you're tucking inside a little bit, you need... Mark Albrighton, in this instance, who was the right winger um, on the day, you need him to be tucked round with you. Now, take nothing away from the fact that if that goes anywhere else off of Bruno Fernandes' toe when he stretches for it, it either goes through to Schmeichel, it's intercepted by Justin, or it's behind Rashford and he's got much um, a much lower chance of scoring the goal. So it, it was kind of an inch-perfect stretch and toe poke from Bruno Fernandes, however unintentional. So... I don't think you can single out Justin there because I think United are a team that can cause a lot of problems, especially when they've got a ball player like Fernandez. the pace, the movement of players like Rashford, Martial. Um, so I think to, to lay the blame entirely at Justin's door is, is unfair, um, especially as we looked pretty... No, Ropey's a bit too strong, but... A little bit exposed defensively at times, particularly in the in the first quarter of the game, maybe the first half. Yeah, they're a very good front four. I don't know why they don't play Cavani from the start. He would be my central striker with Fernandez behind. And then you've got the luxury of having either Martial one side and, and Rashford the other or whoever. It's, it's, it seems to me that would be the best way of playing. But yeah, it, it, it's not an over-criticism really of, of James Justin. I think it was... Um, it was just obvious that there was a player left on Mark, slap bang in the middle of the penalty area, and he didn't have to move to siphon the ball past the keeper. And you look at it and go straight away, well, where's the defence there? It's not a, a huge counter-attack. It, 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 I still would say it was a little bit of ball watching, but yeah, it's obviously been excellent, hasn't he? But but Leicester got back into the game, and it didn't. It, it, they were slowly getting back into the game. It wasn't quite basketball end-to-end, but... The game had a bit of pace to it, which was good. I liked it. It was a little bit more maybe dangerous that way, but that's how I still think Leicester, when they play that 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 quick football, it, it suits them. Yes, it might be slightly more open at the back, but it, it it helps us, especially if it's going to produce counter-attacks, which is still, with Vardy in the team, is going to be advantageous for Leicester. And it was Harvey Barnes. Great shots, out of the blue, left-footed, which he then goes and scores again against Palace, but it was a uh, a brilliant goal. You could almost see him thinking, if you know what I mean, running across the penalty area going, shall I, shall I, shall I? And well, guess what? He did. And it rifled in the back of the net past David De Gea. And then he goes and does the same against Crystal Palace, switch hitting it into the bottom right-hand corner. And you can only say that he scores against... He does not score that goal against Palace without scoring a goal against Man U. That's essentially what I'm saying. And um, it's on his left foot. It's just outside the penalty area. I will die on the hill saying that. I, I really believe that. It was a great goal. 
And guess what? It's back to that old adage. It's Harvey Barnes in front of goal, getting confidence, scoring goals like this will only help. One-on-ones, tap-ins, fine. But these sort of goals, wrong foot, outside of the box, this is going to go a long way, a long, long way for Harvey Barnes becoming the player that we hope he will be. And he slowly is. And a great goal to get back into the game. But do you agree that he doesn't score the Palace if he doesn't score that Man U? I absolutely do, yeah. Um, he's, a, he's a confidence player in terms of his final product. I think the rest the rest of Harvey Barnes' um, uh, sort of traits are are there all the time. He'll, he'll always have a go at a fullback. He'll always be a willing runner. He'll always try and find the ball and get involved. He's not the kind of player that goes hiding on a football pitch very often. But it, it's almost the, the belief... And I'm not saying beforehand that he wouldn't believe that he was going to score, but it was almost like when he hit that from the edge of the box, especially the Palace one, well, I did this 48 hours ago. Yes, different position, uh, other foot, but I still I still did it 48 hours ago against David De Gea, against Manchester United. So why can't I ever go against Palace? And just the confidence to to take the ball in a tight area change direction a couple of times to throw off three other players and then squeeze out the shot on target, it, it's at least going to make the goalkeeper work and he, and he's found the bottom corner. But yeah, the, the finish against United was good. I heard some pundits um, uh, slating David De Gea saying that maybe he should have got down to it a little bit quicker seeing as the distance that it's come from. Um, but from a, a Leicester point of view, it's fantastic. Then that, that goal for Harvey Barnes equaled in that game against United I believe equaled his tally from uh, the whole of last season now if that is not huge improvement in a short space of time I don't know what is and and it's nice actually to sit here on this podcast not saying for a second that what we talk about on here has got any bearing on Harvey Barnes performances but it's nice for us to say something that we've seen as supporters in uh, in matches, seen patterns where Barnes' final product isn't quite there and saying that will turn him in, turn him into a top-level Premier League footballer. It's really nice to see that unfolding before our eyes. They have a goal disallowed for offside, and, and rightly so. And then Cavani comes on. He just looks a couple of yards quicker than, than most players. And... Again, highlighted on match of the day too, very, very nicely. The way that he was already turning before he received the ball to then lay the ball through for Fernandez and and his goal. Before that, a really good save by Schmeichel, uh, really strong right hand. But a few people may say the ball was hit straight at him and he's just basically spread himself and hit him. I think that's a, a really good save, very, very good save by Schmeichel. Keeps us in the game and then late on. Leicester pressing and uh, what what turned out to be an own goal, but Vardy's really, although if it didn't hit the defender whether it was going to go in or not, it would have been a really terrible miss. But we equalised with, what, five minutes to go and, and Leicester run out eventually in the end of the game as the side who maybe was going to go on and, and grab a winner. But 2-2, I think a lot of people in that second half with the disallowed goal, with Cavani running around all over the place, with a good save by the goalkeeper going behind and then equalising with five minutes to go. I think most Leicester fans didn't leave the King Power, but left viewing what was going on at the King Power, going, yes, that's a good point, a very good game of football. They've played well overall against a dangerous side who were 
who were on form as well, United. Do you know what I mean? They 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 played well. And then you look forward to the game against Palace. So yes, Vardy scored late on, and I kind of the one thing for me though is is when people then look at the team sheet against Palace, it's it's a very easy thing to turn around and go, oh, it's you know, terrible team and this that, and the other. But I guarantee if you ask those people at the end of the Manchester United game and go, look, there's going to be a big change for the game against Palace, virtually most people would turn around and go, do you know what? There is going to be in there, but we've just drawn against Man U, got a late goal, Vardy, we can go down to Palace and we're going to get something from there and we could beat them, even with a change side, eight or nine changes possibly. Um, it, it's just when it doesn't happen, it's an easy criticism to make. And it's a criticism that many people will label at Rodgers' door. I don't think so, because guess what? They know more than we do. Players carrying injuries and all sorts. And it's difficult to then match them up to other sides. Aston Villa go and play against Chelsea. And they pretty much play their settled eleven, And they get a good points. And then at the end of the game, the manager, what Dean Smith, turns around and goes, yeah, but our players were fine. I asked them, are they fine? Yeah, they can play all the time. They can play every day if they want. Well, it's different with different clubs. We've played more games. We've got players nursing injuries. We all know Jamie Vardy, what he was like at the end of the uh, previous game, wasn't he? The uh, the game before uh, United when he was limping at the, at the final whistle. So you didn't want Vardy then to play. You've got other players coming back from injury, the likes of Wilfred and Didi. Uh, you've got uh, Fafana, we know, has been nursing a bit of an issue. You're not going to throw players in who have been out injured, the likes of Soyuncu was on the bench but wasn't available then to play. So there's all these things mixed up with our individual clubs. So you can't really compare to other clubs out there. But it was a little bit of a come down from the high, which it was because it's Boxing Day after all and, and it is a good point against United. And I expected the changes to come against Palace, and I wasn't surprised with the the starting lineup. No, neither was I. Like this time last year, we beat West Ham after making nine changes, and and in that instance, I can't re- remember exactly what we said on the podcast, but us and thousands of other Leicester fans would have gone, "Oh, genius! Freshened everything up. All of those players that came in did really well." Um, another bonus from that is you then got other players that you feel like you can trust in more um, starting lineups going forward in the second half of the season and nobody got injured, great. This year you make seven changes, you kind of huff and puff particularly in the second half against Palace uh, and all of a sudden the armchair fans are saying there are too many changes. I, I totally agree with you Pete, it's, it's individual for each player, let alone each club as to as to the sort of pros and cons of them playing two games in 48 hours physically as elite athletes could they play 90 minutes one day and 90 minutes two days later absolutely however we've already seen a record breaking number of injuries across the whole of the premier league this season due to the limited time in pre-season due to the more congested fixture list and there was no need whatsoever to risk that against Palace, particularly as we're in a, a more fortunate position now than we were, let's say, four to six weeks ago, where the squad is uh, of available players is growing again. We've got players that came back against United from injury, like Castagna, for example, um, 
then you use whoever he replaced in in the starting lineup. You bring them in for the Palace game. So you're almost bringing back in a player that's been playing fairly regularly. Uh, in this case, it was Luke Thomas, who's featured quite well, um, quite often this season. You know, we didn't bring in any players really, apart from Daniel Amate, who have not featured heavily this season in some kind of competition and at least to get in a game every two or three weeks, which will keep them ticking over. It wasn't like we've had players that have seen no games, apart from Damari Gray, who I'm sure we'll talk about individually in a few minutes. We didn't have anybody else there that we've not really seen yet this season. So it was, yes, changes, but players that have already proven that they're up to it this season in the Premier League because they have contributed hugely to where we are in the Europa League and in the Premier League. So can you blame it? I, I don't think so. I think if we if we get into the game itself, particularly the first half, I think we can blame the overall result on the lack of ability to convert the bulk of the possession, basically three quarters of the possession, uh, into the scoreline. You know, the possession stat means absolutely nothing. The shots on goal stat means absolutely nothing. It's all about putting the ball in the back of the net. And yes, we'll talk about Ian Acho individually in a few minutes as well. But for all the possession that we had in the first half, and, and some of it was good, I don't think it was quite quick enough or incisive enough. Um, and I genuinely believe that is to do with our central midfield largely. Because... When Yuri Tielemans came on, just um, what ten minutes into the second half, something like that, we changed instantly. He, I, I was watching it, and and I thought, you know what, this is something that I need to raise on the podcast. Yuri Tielemans is a world class central midfielder, and I think I finally realised that in the first fifty five minutes of the Palace game, when he wasn't even on the pitch, there were. 10, 15, maybe 20 times in that first half where I was screaming for a forward pass. Did it come from Mendy and Chowdhury? No. Is it their fault? Mm, not really. They're, they are kind of similar players, really. Chowdhury seems to seems to strike me as having all of the right attributes to be in a box-to-box midfielder, and, and in that case, he should be a little bit more forward-thinking. But, come on, Yuri Tielemans, he's got an unbelievable number of appearances in top-level European competition, international competitions for his age. He is a world-class central midfielder who we completely missed in the in the opening hour of the game against Palace. And I, I genuinely think that was a key difference. Yeah, I like to look at the starting lineup for Leicester and, and look at it in a sense of it highlights where we are not... Well, yeah, deficient is the word. Where we are deficient in the squad. So you can go through it... 1 to 11. Schmeichel's in goal. The left back, Thomas, who is developing all the time. Uh, you've got Evans and Armati. Armati was a strange one, but he's obviously well liked by Brendan Rodgers. And we've said before that it's nice that it seems to be a position that Armati is kind of, whether it's through injury, and I've maybe got. I think that's maybe the case as well, that through injury, his, his days of being a, uh, a defensive midfielder or being in midfield or maybe well, he never really bombed down the right-hand side, but being a, a full-time fullback and maybe gone now, and he's going to be a centre-half. And if that's the case, he's got all the attributes to be a really good centre-half. So no problem there. Justin at right-back, uh, the two midfielders, Mendy and Chowdhury, uh, and then Barnes, Pratt, Perez behind Ian Acho. 
the, the midfield really is highlighted. I know we haven't got anyone else like Yuri Tillemans. Not many clubs have. But that was an issue, definitely, having Mendy and Chowdhury in midfield. I would say Chowdhury's kind of regressed, but he hasn't kicked on like we all hoped he would do. And he's never going to be that player to get forward. I know he scored that goal against Newcastle from off the underside of the bar, but it was a bit of a surprise at the time, and it's becoming more and more of a surprise as, as the uh, the months and years tick on from that goal. It's I would like to see one or the other. I can understand why both were played. And then as you go further forward, Barnes, Pratt, Perez, I think Pratt would have been better in midfield alongside, say, Mendy. He would have been a better option there. And then you've got a space at 10 with Ian Atchell top. Now, that 10 could have been filled by Madison was injured. Um, is there a gap in the team in that position? I think there is. Uh, would have that been a fantastic place to throw in, or no, not throw in, but to play someone like Damari Gray? Yes, but he's obviously out of favour. He came on, but that would have been an ideal scenario for me. You could have played Pratt back in midfield and then have Ian Acho up top with with Gray just behind would have been ideal. Or Perez maybe behind and then uh, Gray further out wide. And that would have been a better lineup for me. But it highlights the problems that we have in the squad. And they're not problems that we don't have players to fill. It's just that they are areas which we really need to work on. Ian Acho, obviously, uh, and also a central midfielder to play when Yuri Tillemans isn't there or to maybe play alongside if they're going to go three in midfield with having Tillemans and Ndidi would be an option. Um, those are the two places for me. I think in that um, kind of three behind a forward, there are still options there. Um, Jewsby Hall's playing really well. Maybe a player who can come into um, that sort of side next season after his uh, loan spell at Luton. He's doing ever so well. So it highlights the centre-forward and it highlights a ball-playing central midfielder. Now, Kelechi Iheanacho, I think we maybe put... I think I put the kind of Kyber on him the other day by saying that he's he's kind of a... he's developed from being a very frustrating and disappointing player that people got on the back of in the King Power, and they did, to now almost he's kind of turned round and because everyone now knows his role in the squad, and I think he does, everyone's kind of got back on his side and kind of he's not not a cult hero. I think that's used very wrongly in many, many places. He But um, he's kind of a crowd favourite in a way, this is before the game, by the way. This is before he's missed the penalty. He's kind of a, a crap. Everyone likes him because it's like, hey, come, come on, Kletch. They're willing them to do well. Come on, Kletch. You know, this is it. Now, if he left tomorrow, I don't think many people would have been unhappy. If he left before this game, people would have turned around and go, oh, well, he didn't really work out for him at Leicester. But, you know, he scored a few goals in the Europa League and he had that goal against Everton or whatever. And it, it just didn't work out. Sometimes it doesn't. The problem is... You need to deliver when you're given the chance. To miss a penalty and to miss guilt-edged chances, especially in the first half, um, it was a poor penalty. Now, we heard from Rodgers at the end of the game that him and Ayuzi Perez took five penalties each in uh, training. Um, Inacho scored five and Perez scored four. And that was kind of the reason why he was the penalty taker. And I remember he scored penalties in penalty shootouts in, in the League Cup and... Plenty of penalty shoes that's what we've had in the League Cup over the years, in the last few years. It, 
it was just really disappointing. It's a disappointing effort. I don't like his run-up, but then again, that's just a personal thing. It doesn't really mean an awful lot. Um, quite often, sometimes I don't like the way Vardy takes penalties, but you know, more than not, they go in. He's missed his fair few as well. It was just really disappointing. Now, straight away, people are like, get rid of him. You know, We need to bring in a new striker, and that conversation flares up, and we're approaching the transfer window, and it will flare up. I don't think we will. I think there's possibilities of maybe loan signings and we'll talk about possible signings or what we might do after uh, after we go through this game. But I, I thought Leicester were good in the first half. They, they did more than enough to beat Palace, who were woefully low of confidence after being thrashed by Villa, a 10-man Villa. And overall in the game, when you were equalised late on, you've got to be kind of happy with the points, regardless of who you're playing. It's just a bit galling that you missed all those chances and also a penalty, and it just happens to be the one man up top. And you do really fear that if anything happens to Vardy, we are bang short of options. Now, is this one performance? Are these missed chances? Is this missed penalty going to mean that Iheanacho's not going to score again for Leicester? Absolutely not. But he is a confidence player. And this is really going to dent his confidence. Granted, his next game, he might score in the first minutes off his arse. Well, there you go. His confidence is sky high then. But it was just, it's just the back of your mind. You're always thinking this is a, a really, this is a missed chance. And with other clubs, maybe slipping up here and there or even not playing, it was just like, if we got those three points and then you go to Newcastle and get another three points, you're starting to slightly pull away from those clubs in, you know, third, fourth and fifth, etc. How fickle football is, because I totally agree with you. Ian Acho has seemed to have turned a bit of a corner in his Leicester career in, in so much as the fans were willing him to do well. And it was kind of like if he made a mistake or, or didn't have the greatest of impact or falls over, as he does quite a lot. Um, he'd kind of get laughed at or or cheered to get back onto his feet and have another go. Whereas before it was, he was a bit of a joke figure, that, that, wasn't that's, he? That's a better that's a better way of putting it. That he was he he was a bit of a joke figure where who everyone didn't boo when he came on, but there were there was a lot of groans and moans about everything he did, and that's now turned into more cheers and encouragement. And it happened towards the end of when crowds were allowed in football grounds. That's a better way of putting it. it the, the the crowd changed. I think they realised that he was actually really working hard, and it wasn't necessary. It's not through kind of a lack of effort. I think that's kind of been labelled now, and that parcel's been passed on to the door of Damari Gray, rightly so as well. And yeah, so you, you've put it in better better English than I have. Well, as as normal. The thing is, we we talk on this on the on this podcast quite a lot. I think what people have realised is that Ian Acho is not a Vardy replacement. He when, when we looked at his attributes, he came and, and we believed he was this striker with pace and good finishing. So the and and the fact that we were playing one up top the majority of the time and that was Jamie Vardy, um there's there's no choice but to make the comparison, especially when it was usually one or the other. So you'd expect Ianacho to just come in and do what Vardy was doing. There are very few strikers in the world who work as hard as Jamie Vardy with and without the ball. There are very few strikers in the world at the moment who score with the regularity that Jamie Vardy does, who can have that impact on a game 
that decisive impact on a game, despite maybe not looking like they were in the game for long periods of time. Iheanacho doesn't necessarily possess that, but you've got very little chance of finding anybody else who has that Vardy magic. That's what makes him stand out as one of the best strikers in the Premier League over the last four or five years. That's why he's consistently in and around the hunt for the golden boot. He's he's a world-class striker, who you, and you can't expect whoever replaces him because and the reason he's been replaced is solely because it's a second game in 48 hours Vardy is getting a little bit older he's carrying a niggle um, and he didn't want to risk him from the start you can't expect Iheanacho to come in at the same level can you expect him to dispatch a penalty you sh- you should that should should be something that we're expecting um should he be scoring a header from six yards out should he at least be making contact with the ball with his head Absolutely, you should. Um, should we judge the the Kalechi Iheanacho of the present time at Leicester City on that one match against Crystal Palace? No, but we're naturally going to because you're only as good as your last performance, aren't you? As one of the old, many old millions of football cliches go. So it, it, I feel for him a little bit. It's, it's a difficult one. I'm not totally sure that having a penalty shootout in training is the best way to decide who takes a penalty in in the pressures of a Premier League match. Okay, we were on top, but it was fairly early on, so the, the, the pressure on the penalty was not particularly high. However, if if, if you asked me, 50-50, Ian Atchew or Perez to take the pen, I'd pick Perez every day of the week, and I, what I would have done before the Palace game. I would have done right there and then. As soon as we got the penalty, I thought, oh my God, who's going to take this? And the camera pans to Vardy smiling in the stands. Tielemann's looking a little bit concerned. He's probably watched these lads take penalties. And yes, he's scored five and five out of five and four out of five, whatever. But, you know, you go Vardy, obviously. Tielemann's, obviously. And then of the players on the pitch, in terms of strikers of a football, I would pick Iosi Perez over Iheanacho. In terms of somebody who is... Um, I don't know, mentally, seems mentally stronger out of pick Perez. So I'd, um, that's that's my personal choice. Obviously, Brendan Rodgers is the manager of Leicester City. If he wants to decide that, that's the way to, who, to decide who takes penalties, fine by me, not bothered. But I do feel free in Acho because it's not a role that many people would want at a football club, is it, to be playing second fiddle? Um, especially when you're a different kind of striker these days. But it, it, just nothing really came off for him. Um, if he scores the pen, he scores the header, he bags a brace, we're 2-0 up at half-time, our, our dominance of the game is paying off, and we're sat here having a totally different conversation, aren't we? We are, um, but uh, but we didn't. But he and didn't, yeah, 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 we, that's we didn't. Point. And that's, <laughs> that's unfortunately the problem. Three-word reviews, uh, striker, 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 just like buses, Iheanacho has to go, striker in January, it's an equaliser, uh, missed red card. We've got we didn't lose a new striker priority, etc. Kind of a, a, all along the kind of same wavelength. And then um, if I just spend a, a few seconds going over to the old Facebook um, once again, these three word reviews. Not every single game. If, if there's two games before the podcast, it's generally the second game. Uh, there was uh, no way of me actually doing it for the Manchester United game because um, I was, as I said earlier, I was working at the time, so. Uh, do uh, bear with us on that. Uh, Nacho, no bottle. 
uh, embarrassing at times, toothless without Vardy, didn't take chances, um, which I, I quite like that option. Uh, a little disappointed, Foxy's never quits, which is completely true, two late goals in the two games, very frustrating. Oh, very, very frustrating. Nacho stealing wage and uh, don't rest seven. It was seven changes. Now, I'm going to be a bit more critical listening to yourself and listening back to myself and what I, what I said earlier. I think some people might turn around and go, well, hang on, come on. I think this is, uh, if we're going to you know, be a top four club, etc., etc. I'm I'm going to be a little more, bit more critical. If we're going to be a top four club, Rob, and we've got ambitions to stay in the top six and aiming for that top four, first of all, we need to be taking those chances. Now, you finished off there by saying no one really wants that role. I think, unfortunately, for um, Iheanacho, it's a role he's kind of fell into. And do I think it's time for him to move on? Yes, I do. I think many Leicester fans would. It needs to be the right deal. But I think it is time. Now, you go back through the team and I look at someone like Hamza Chowdhury. Is he good enough to be in a midfield two alongside Mendy? No, if we're going to be competing at that end of the Premier League. He's not at the moment. Hence the reason Dennis Pratt would have been a better option there. Now, players develop at different times. So someone, you could argue, oh, is Thomas good enough to play left-back? Well, he's a young player coming through. These, the people uh, develop at different times and he's only just started his career and he looks very, very promising. But if they're going to be serious, and this is not labelling Leicester for what they've done, this is what we're going to do. After moving into the training ground, etc. And I know they're not going to go and spend 100 million on a certain player or or splash loads of cash, especially especially in January but they need to tweak the squad now we know that you need a deep squad look at what happened this year you know this is the year of all years where the squad has been really tested more than I can really remember since it's actually been kind of valid if you know what I mean if you go back to the days of mid to lower table in the championship missing three or four first teamers or even more than that to be honest it didn't really matter at times because we were just lolling around in 13th and 16th place but I say it's time for him to go and it's time for Leicester to upgrade that position. Um, it's time for certain players in the club like him, like Gray. And I know there's a, it's very easy to sit here and go, he needs to go, he needs to go because players are on big wages. Uh, are they going to go for fees? Are they going to go for free transfers, etc., etc.? Slomani, I mean, it, it becomes more comical by the day that he's actually played Premier League football this season. He's played Premier League football. I mean, that's, that's just absolutely absurd. He needs to go. Gray needs to go. And it's a fantastic, fantastic opportunity for a young player to come into the club and learn off Vardy, be given plenty of game time, plenty of game time, European football, uh, playing when Vardy's not playing, coming on for Vardy, and that's only going to increase with Vardy turning, what, 34 in a few days? And I think it's a brilliant opportunity for someone to come in, or even two players, 
as a number nine striker or even one as a 10, say, for example. Now, is that being done behind the scenes? Of course it is. Of course. Um, there are players out there you can always turn around and go, oh, Edouard over at, at Celtic, fantastic. For me, he would be bang ideal. Sign him in the summer. He'll cost. He'll be the big signing in the summer. And, and there we go. That would fill a, a huge hole in the squad for me. Absolutely huge hole. Do they go with a bit of experience? Possibly on loan. Look at some, maybe even a defender. We had Bennett last year, didn't really work out. You look go all the way back to the likes of, say, Hooth coming in. It would be someone maybe at the back to cover the injuries, maybe even a forward, maybe even a loan signing from Europe who turns around and goes, do you know what, I've seen all these all these pictures of Leicester's new training ground on social media and all that. Do you know, they're, they're actually, yeah, there's a few feelers out there for a centre-forward who's maybe not getting the game in Europe at a big club going, yeah, do you know what, I fancy a bit of a bit of Europa League action and, and a bit of Premier League, top-end Premier League football for six months and then let's see how it goes. These options are wide open. But I'm saying right now, not just because of this one performance, but the way the club's going, if certain players, and these players might be players who people are fond of and have been at the club for a few years, if they are not good enough now, then, sorry, they need to either step up to the mark or they need to be replaced. Now, we can't just go out and buy a new six or seven players all at the level of a Yuri Tillemans but I say with Kelechi Inacho he is one of three or four now who I think Leicester if they really have proper serious ambitions they need to sooner rather than later I would not like Inacho to be at Leicester as the second striker when we start next season I think that's a, a realistic time frame to, for it to be happening in as well. These these kind of changes can't happen instantly. There can't be a knee jerk reaction in January and get whoever's available. And and I'm not. And they won't be. That just categorically won't be because I think the way Leicester City as a club is being run, the the way that the football team is being managed at the moment is all in is all heading in the right direction, but at the at the right pace. It's got. It's, you've got to make sustainable improvements. You've got to. You've got to bed in whatever improvement you, you're making, playing staff or or otherwise, and then make another small one. You know, you can't. Like you say, we can't. There's no need for a squad overhaul. Our squad looks great at the moment. Could it look better? Yes, it could. With the points that you've just made, um, the second striker position is. Probably the most attractive position, it, it, the most attractive situation it's been in a in a long time uh, in terms of a a job prospect for somebody to come in because of all the all the points you just mentioned there. Regular opportunities to play games because you, the chances are, um, we're saying this change is probably going to happen in the summer. The chances are next season there'll still be hopefully two games most weeks. There'll be a Jamie Vardy leading the line at 34, who is not going to be able to withstand the rigours of a 38-game Premier League season um, on top of Europe and Cup. So there's game time. There's a club heading in absolutely the right direction in all aspects. So it is, it's an attractive uh, proposition for, for many players. Um, 
they've they've got they've got to they've got to be better than Ian Acho straight away though I think is is the key uh, and somebody let's say if if Chowdhury is moved on I agree with you there he's not um he's not gone backwards but he's not gone for he's not kicked on he he would fit in somewhere like I know they don't really like him there but somebody somewhere like Newcastle he'd fit in in a mid to low mid table Premier League do, do you side. know what do you know what Hamza Chowdhury needs he, he he needs to play. He needs football. He needs to play. I'd like to see him go on loan, and I'd like to see him go on loan at a Premier League club. You know, you could ship him off to uh, to Sheffield United, Dan's Brighton, or, or whoever. That's where I would send Hamza Chowdhury at the end of the transfer window. Let's say the, the, the Leicester squad is pretty much fully fit at the end of January. And they turn around to Hamza and go, "Look, mate, do you know what? I'm not being funny, but you're not going to be you, you, replacing Wilfred Ndidi." It's going to be Mendy and then you. So how about having six months down wherever? That that would be ideal for Hamza Chowdhury. And and, and in that position, I, I think what Leicester need in, in midfield, I'd like to see them go with a bit of experience. Now, OK, if there's a player out there who's young like Yuri Tillemans was and, and you're going to spend good money on him and he's really good, fine. But I'd like to see a little bit of experience in a similar player to Yuri, a, a creative player, but more of a kind of six and eight rather than a say a ten to to go alongside and Didi if Tillemans isn't there um a little bit of guile because um, yeah, get leg wise there, there's there's plenty of legs in the side so you know it doesn't have to be someone to go proper box to box but uh, that that would be an option but yeah just sorry just to interrupt you again but yeah it was um Chowdhury he needs games he needs football and he might kick on who knows it might be the making of him. When Barnes first started coming through the academy and people were calling for him to be thrown straight into the Leicester squad and then he went out on loan, uh, didn't he, to, to various different clubs, built it up through League One and then the Championship and it was West Brom when he really started setting the Championship alight where we said, OK, let's bring him back and, and stick him in. And and still, what, a season, season and a half on from that, we're only really in the last four to six weeks, possibly, seeing... Um, the the real peak of his performance levels so far. I really hope he can continue to improve Harvey Barnes. But if he doesn't, he's still an extremely effective um, top half Premier League attacker. Now you've got to say, um, yes, he needs to sustain it over a, a longer period of games. Now he's sort of he's done the short term in terms of flashing the pan. He's not just a one or two game wonder. He's now basically we're almost half a season in. Um, and he's maintained some very high performance levels with plenty of end product. Now it's can he extend that over the course of the whole season, and then can he replicate that next season to be right at the top of his game? But he's he's pushed on, and 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 I think that's what people are wanting from Hamza Chowdhury. It's a difficult one for him though, because like you say, Barnes has been given more opportunities, and and that is natural when you've got a young winger it's much easier to put them into games because, you know, if, if a young winger has a 4, 5 out of 10 performance, doesn't generally tend to have too much of a negative impact on the team overall. Whereas if your central midfielder has a bit of a mare, then all of a sudden you're under a lot of pressure uh, more often than not. So it's a difficult position because he plays a different role on the field Hamza Chowdhury but if you could get him a Premier League loan where he's guaranteed game time I would absolutely snap that up because like you say Mendy is is very much second 
to to Ndidi in that role now. Tielemans, it looks like he can play day in, day out. Dennis Pratt is um, is a good option in there, although he's been playing higher up the field for the majority of the game. James Madison reckons he's at number eight. Um, so, you know, if you were really struggling, you could tuck him in there. So there's there's plenty of options. And and Chowdhury, maybe, maybe it is a, a, an opportunity to get him out, give him a season-long loan in the Prem next season, for example, uh, maybe a newly promoted side, somewhere where he's going to get played week in, week out, and then you'll see what he's like as a Premier League footballer. But, you know, he gets seen more by Brendan Rodgers and the coaching staff than he does by us, and they'll know exactly what kind of future they have mapped out for Hamza Chowdhury, and like they will for Ian Acho, like they will for Slomani, like they will for... Well, like we, it's been very clear for a while now that Damari Gray's future does not lie at Leicester City, and that's something that Brendan Rodgers has very clearly stated. Um, so Gray Slomani gone by the end of the season. If I can't imagine many, anybody's going to pay for them in January. I can't imagine anybody's going to be desperate enough for either of them um, enough to pay rather than get some kind of pre-contract agreement for the summer. But Chowdhury, yeah, not he's not quite there. And But the, the thing is, like you say, you've got to bring in somebody who makes that squad better. Um, you, I don't. I wouldn't agree with just letting Chowdhury go and not getting anybody else in because yes, the numbers are there, but uh, but the numbers are there at the moment, assuming everybody's fully fit. And we've already seen how injuries can really ravage us. If Christian Fuchs hadn't signed the one-year contract extension, we'd have been in a, a spot of bother this season. If uh, James Justin wasn't so versatile, we'd been in a spot of bother. If we'd have offloaded all Brighton when some fans were calling for his, his time at Leicester to be over, we'd have been in trouble this season. So you need a big squad, but all Brighton's probably another one who can come into this conversation. If every window or every summer window, you can start to move a couple of those on and bring in somebody of a higher quality. That's how you sustain top half or even top six Premier League football on a regular basis. Yeah, just looking at Chowdhury this season, you've got uh, on the bench for the first two games. He, he didn't play 90 minutes in the League Cup. Uh, on the bench against uh, Man City. Uh, by the way, when I mean on the bench, didn't come off the bench. Uh, and then plays two minutes against West Ham, 13 minutes against Villa, uh, 20 minutes in the Cup against the Europa League and Zoya. On the bench, Arsenal um, plays and scores against uh, AEK. Scores uh, 65 minutes he played on the bench. Leeds, uh, full game against Braga, on the bench, on the bench. Full game in Europe, on the bench, full game in Europe. on the be- uh, Not in squad, nine minutes, not in squad, not in squad, not in squad, on the bench. And then he plays nearly an hour against Palace. It's not enough. It just generally isn't enough. The games against uh, weak opposition in Europe were an absolute gimme. He's going to be playing. And an awful lot of those games he was playing because... Mendy was playing all the games in the Premier League and he was playing that role. There was no Wilfred and Didi. I would really certainly argue the fact that I think in I think actually if and I said if Leicester's got a, a, a really quite fit squad at the time, then I would let him go in January on loan for six months or until the end of the season. I think that the squad can cope. I think Pratt would be a better option in that position. Because you've got two defensive midfielders. You've got Wilfred Ndidi and you've got Mendy. Those two. Slap bang. First and second. 
Um, now, if both of those are out, then we've got problems anyway. We really do. But I think um, I think then Dennis Pratt would be the next option in midfield. I I, I think that would be a perfectly because at the end of the day, that's exactly where he was playing. But um, he needs he needs game time. Regarding the other players, I think um, if I was again a, a Premier League side and you're talking bottom half at least, Timari Gray. As much as he hasn't kicked on at Leicester and he hasn't performed and he he's been disappointing, he's flown. He, he's he's shown more than enough to show that he can really be a, 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 a decent player in the Premier League at his current level. So if you're, again, you mentioned, say, Newcastle will be maybe top end, but I still think, I mean, there were rumours about Spurs being involved. I think clubs will take a chance on Gray, and it's just time for him to move. The other players, who knows, likes of Slimani, again, it's all to do with contracts, etc., and they might just run them down and, and, and leave maybe in the summer. But, uh, yeah, they do need to move on. And uh, when it comes to Kalechi, well... It depends who comes in. I just think at the moment, and I don't think it will change, that he's not the right player for that position. He's not similar to Vardy. He's not quick, and we're not going to buy a, a Jamie Vardy Mark II. But if we're going to play buy someone to replace Vardy, then he needs to be, I think, of a similar ilk. If not, he needs to be of a, a level which is certainly higher than... Kaleshi Inacho. I think Edouard again mentioned at, at Celtic he brings an awful lot, he brings touch uh, he's not slow at all but he brings a presence as well and he just looks for me a, an absolute ready made player and I really hope they go for him and that would be I think the big signing in the summer if they'd go down that avenue now again there could be players who you, no one's even thought of who, who might turn up again maybe a bit of experience towards the end of January Leicester might go on a, a, a really good run of wins in the Premier League and it turns around and go, do you know what, we're in a very good position here. Let's you know, let's maybe spend a few quid on wages in terms of loan signings and pick up one or two experienced heads and, and, and get them in the side. Diego Costa, anybody? <laughs> Diego Costa? No, I, I think, I think there, you're talking there about <laughs> um, if you were going to play two up front, if you were if you had a side that had two up front and you could play maybe Vardy alongside or Inacho, then then yeah, it would it would work out. But I don't think so. Not in the formation they play. But also, how good would it be to have Costa and Vardy up top? It would be the t- <laughs> the two biggest defenders would absolutely hate it. Opposition fans would hate our strike force even more. It'd be double the hatred, wouldn't it? But imagine being a centre back and playing against that pair. Oh my goodness! <laughs> but it, it needs to be, you know, they need to be of a level to improve the squad, or, or at least be, you know, pay their way essentially. Which well, obviously every player does. Uh, Jewsby Hall is an interesting player because he's really playing well. Really is. Uh, there's a a chap at work who's a, a huge, huge Luton like ridiculous, and he keeps on giving me updates about him and he goes over the top about it. I was like, surely you can't be playing this player. And he goes, oh no, he's not only just playing, he's not the best player in the club at the moment, but he's one, one of, if not the outstanding player in his position in the league. He really has improved. And um, so next season, you can see him being in the first team squad at Leicester. Um, they might say, do you know, go out for another year, who knows? But um, yeah, it's it's interesting times, but I I think with, with Kelechi, I think the the ship has definitely sailed. And has this performance against Palace kind of rubber stamped it? Probably, probably for me. I think if you if you're being 
decisive and about things and again the, the training ground is a big thing because you can talk about transfer fees you can talk about uh, stadium redevelopments you can talk about signing next player for 35 million and having Jamie Vardy a golden boot winner and playing Champions League you can won the Premier League you can talk about all that but when you actually leave Beaver Drive and say right no more of that we're now in this and then you actually do it and the players walk in and go Christ alive this this is it this is serious stuff now you know a lot of and and well and for fox sake is is right at the top of it there's an awful lot of guff spoken about football oh it would be great if he played alongside him it would be fantastic and it's and that's what's great that's what's great that's why we do the podcast but when you actually move into a brand new training ground like that i think that's when it hits home you know you start counting chickens you go right we mean business now no more. I mean, Damari Gray must have looked round. I mean, everyone walked into that place, all singing and dancing. Uh, follow, you know, follow big wares and fantastic. He he was there, face like a slap toss at the back, and surely he must look around and go, "Well, hang on, I, I've this club's outgrown me now. You know, I, th- these have gone beyond me." Some of the players must really look round and go. Someone like James Justin must look round and go, "Right, here we go." Talking about playing for England, possibly being selected. Why not? He's improving every game in front of a rise. This is it. We can't carry players anymore. They need to either step up or be shipped out. And for me, Kalechi, yeah, he's not the player we need. That's the thing. We would never sign him now. That's what I think with Kalechi. He wouldn't be signed by the football club. At the time, he was a good signing. He, everyone thought, do you know what? He's done it in the Premier League. We've got him for, what, 25 million quid, which is a, it was a fair few quid. But it, it just, it really, everyone kind of nodded their head and went, yes, that really makes a lot of sense. Now it's not quite worked out. I'm not going to turn around and say it's been a complete disaster, but it's not quite worked out for one reason or another. But the way he plays, the style of player he is, it wouldn't be a signing for Leicester now. So because of that, he needs to go. But um, But we've got a point anyway. We did. I think that's a really good barometer, actually. I've never really thought of it that way. Would Would we sign that player today? Uh, in a bid to improve our squad or to bolster our squad? And the answer for Iheanacho is no. The answer for Chowdhury is no. The answer for Slomani is no. The answer for Albrighton is no. The answer for Gray is no. Um, You know, you've got a couple of other players in there, maybe like Mendy or something like that. I won't talk about the older players like um, Fuchs and Morgan because obviously you wouldn't sign a a nearly 37-year-old bloke with a back problem. Um. But, it, you know, it, it's applicable to a lot of players in a lot of positions. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting way to think about it. And it's not necessarily, we're not sitting here talking about a squad cull. But what we're talking about is the fact that for Leicester to make that next step again uh, and become a big club, which is a very loose term again, um, and one that we we talk about definitions of it and how Leicester become one of those so-called inverted in inverted commas big clubs in the next couple of years in the next five to ten years this is a way you've got to go about it you've got to be a little bit ruthless and I totally agree with with that Pete you, you know you you move into the new training ground world-class facilities you look at some of the players in the pictures with the world-class facilities in the background and go are you world-class probably not um so it'll be interesting to see how the squad takes shape I think what what we've got to say is that 
the the squad itself has done really well this season. And we're not here calling out any individuals um, because pretty much everybody in the first team squad has made a really important contribution to what's been a very good, um, very positive first half, really, of the campaign. Uh, and you know that's that's great. The players that are here are doing that job, but like you say, to 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 push us on to the next level, uh, and it has to be a steady process. Maybe it's a couple each time, but that that squad the squad does need to continue to be improved. It does. We we mention all the times about players kicking on. It's a term we both use an awful lot because we've got players doing that. Harvey Barnes and and James Justin are, are two perfect examples. The club have kicked on in the last week or so, by moving to that training ground. They really have. They've gone from here, and I'll put my hand a bit higher, to here. And the players need to do the same. Now, a lot of them are already there, and will naturally do that. You look at, again, Yuri Tillemans, who you mentioned. Him, Bash, Jamie Vardy, Cassius Michael. There you go. Wesley Fafana. Those players are looking around that training ground going, yes, this is this is where we are. This is where I am. This is where I know I'm an elite player. It's those players who are not currently involved in first-team football an awful lot, they're the ones now who, unfortunately, with this jump-up, are going to be left behind unless they can make the step-up. And, and many people we mentioned before about how they could make possibly that step-up or whether it's just, unfortunately, they need to go somewhere else. So, And we'll see how that develops because it will be, it'll be interesting because it, it is a different club. You, you go from one player to another it's it's what happens you know play, clubs evolve and um and it's just mightily mightily exciting we've got everything now in place uh, to really be that club who signs players year in year out so you turn around and go every player we're signing is of a really really good level we're not just filling out the squad anymore um but i mentioned about being at the end of the transfer window and seeing how the now at the time of recording, when we move on to talk about fancy football and, and etc. and games coming up and that, obviously what's going on in the world right now is having a massive effect on football. There's games being cancelled, you've got Man City with their issues, although apparently they're going to play against Chelsea, so that's good news. They've obviously, or hopefully they've caught it and there's been no further players who have um, who have gone down with, the, with what's going around. And so they should be back. We know there's problems at Newcastle, and now should we and can we take advantage of that? And then hopefully we do. Yeah, end of the day, football's football is what it is. But so basically, the season's in a, a very precarious position. There was a full fixture list in the in the um, Championship, League One, League Two the other day. League One there was about three games playing because of loads being called off. So at the moment, I still think it's fifty fifty whether. There's going to be a break or or so in January, so we'll we'll wait and see how how that applies, and um, and that really applies to the fancy football because at the moment it's very difficult to kind of work out where we are in the leagues etc. At the time of recording, I've had a complete disaster because of three Man City players and Tottenham not playing etc. So I'm down in 18th place at the moment. Rob, I don't know about you, I think you fell off the the bottom of the league somewhere, but uh, so we can't really do the top ten. In terms of football, on the in terms of the fancy football, but what do you reckon, Rob, with what's going on? I mean, obviously there's bigger picture to play, but when it comes to football, it seems that the moment we are either on a straight road to a two or three week 
gap and uh, a circuit breaker as it's being called or we're going to just try and get through this and there's going to be certain clubs who unfortunately miss a game or two they've got they've got to balance it in terms of the fairness of the competition i, I don't think the yes of course the welfare of every human being on the planet is in everybody's first thoughts but i don't think it's a welfare issue for most players i know uh, players like Havertz, uh, St. Maximan, that kind of player, have been struggling with the after effects um, of the virus and the symptoms. But I don't think and Jamal it's... Shelters as well. Yeah, sometimes. yeah, yeah. So Newcastle have been been hit by that. I think what the Premier League, as a sporting organisation, have got to do is just is is weigh it up and and continue to monitor it and just ensure that what's happening doesn't give an unfair disadvantage to football clubs and whether that's taken into consideration if more games start to get postponed then congesting up fixture lists or other teams getting longer breaks because their opponents had um, a couple of uh, positive cases and and couldn't fulfill their fixture so then they get um, 10 days off where their opponents only got four, four or five you know there's a lot to consider um, and it's not just a case of, oh, you've got a positive test, you, you're off work for 10 days or two weeks and then you're back into it because, you know, some people have no symptoms whatsoever and just get and just crack on. Whereas some, like those players that we've just mentioned, the, the, the effects can be much longer lasting. So the Premier League, you've got to look at it from a competition point of view. I don't, I don't think necessarily it needs to be from a welfare point of view because, look, without going too much into it, most of us are going to get it at some point, and I'm not saying the football players should be put in in the in the face of it, really. But they they have got millions of pounds set aside by the Premier League for this regular testing. This is how we know that there are this many positive tests in the Premier League on whatever time of whatever day. They're testing so so regularly, so that the positive cases can be isolated quickly, and it doesn't spread through the club which enables the sport to remain a physical close contact sport and it allows people to train in groups um traveling groups you know that kind of thing so the, the the premier league i think i think personally my in my opinion the premier league's responsibility is towards the integrity of the competition uh, and the fairness of that yeah i agree it's um it's it's a real problem because as soon as the Man City game got called off, you got people turning around going, ah, of, of maybe rivals to Man City saying, oh, they've only done it for this, that and the other. Uh, look at Leighton Orient against Spurs. They had to uh, forfeit in the cup, forgetting that Newcastle have already had a game called off in the Premier League and didn't have to forfeit the game. People go mad. Again, football fans, it, it, it's ridiculous. Some of the comments were unbelievable. If you go, go back to the Manchester City or Everton um, official club statements on Twitter especially, and look at some of the replies. It's mind-blowing how stupid some people are. You know, it's, first of all, conspiracy, all that sort of thing. But again, people forgetting that Newcastle have actually had a game called off in the Premier League and there was no 3-0 automatic win handed to the opposition when um, when obviously that was the case when it was in the uh, in the League Cup. And also different rules for different competitions, etc. It's, <clears throat> it's quite funny at times, but... 
yeah, when it comes to this sort of thing, I think everyone just needs to be on a straight level head and um, and just go with it because there's no way for me that Man City, if they could play the game, of course they wanted to play it. There you go, job done. It's just the way it is. And hopefully they can uh, play their games and, and then, again, it won't be a, a huge fixture backlog because at the moment it's not affected Leicester. And if you just go back and be fairly selfish about things and look at Leicester, um, touch wood and all that sort of thing, the club seems to be okay. Um but also in terms of fixtures as well. We haven't had that game against, you know, we've got Newcastle coming up and hopefully that, that does go ahead and everything's fine. <clears throat> Excuse me. But there we go. That's it really for the podcast. Um, just a word actually on um, on the fancy football. Uh, at the moment, if I just go back, I was just scrolling down the overall league because even though we are, again, in the, right in the middle of a game week and it's just all of a bit of a mess, um, at the top of the league is still Luke Taylor with TaylorMade. He's actually on a thousand points, and I'm looking in the big scheme of things overall. I don't know where that is overall, but this is a game played by about six million people. I think it's about six point one or something this season, and I think he must be inside the top maybe two thousand or so. It's a ridiculously high score, a thousand points. So well done, to, well done to Luke. We're all trying to catch him who's in the league, but uh, but there we go. It just seems a really high score, and uh, it seems that it is. I'm down in 18th on five, 925, but I've had a complete disaster with three Man City players, and and of course Harry Kane missing his game, etc. So it's a you know bit of a nightmare really. But there we go. There's bigger things afoot. That's it for the podcast. Anything else, Rob? Uh, no, yeah, I have fallen out of the league. They, they, I score. I'm scoring so little points that fantasy Premier League have just actually kicked me out. I had three Man City players, three Spurs players. Used my free hit. Uh, looking at squad rotation, it's been an absolute disaster. Uh, there is one more thing actually. I'm just watching. Um, we're recording this on. Oh God, what day is it? It's the 30th of December. I've got no idea what actual day it is. Is it Wednesday today? It's Wednesday. Well, yeah, but the Newcastle Liverpool is is on in the background at the moment anyway, and, and Newcastle are our next opponents, and there's been a lot of negativity about them, um, well as there is around any Steve Bruce side ever. Let's be perfectly honest. But they're giving New, um, giving Liverpool a really good game here as as we speak. It's 78 minutes on the clock. They've been yes, they've been defending. Yes, it's been bodies on the line, but they've actually tried to play. They've not necessarily football in terms of tick attacker, but they've caused them a lot of problems. And, you know, Callum Wilson is a player that we talked about as a possible potential signing up front for Leicester when Bournemouth went down. Um, and he's just causing lots of problems. So I, I, I think the negativity around Newcastle and their their relative league position does not make the game, the first game of 2021 for Leicester City, if it goes ahead, does not make it an easy one by any stretch of the imagination. No, I think if Leicester do go there with their full first team, I... I... I've got no qualms about really fancying Leicester to go and win. You know, a full-scale team, Madison Vardy, Barnes on the form he is, Yuri Tillemans back in the side, Fafana at the back. I, I think a strong Leicester side can go there, even though they're doing well against Liverpool now. And I've got no qualms about picking a a, a, a decent Leicester win, um, maybe even to nil, maybe 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 even say two or three nil. I know that's not, you know it might sound a little bit ambitious, but I I can't see why not. Especially if they pick up the the result against Liverpool. They're currently swinging balls into the box of fun with about 10 minutes to go. But if they pick up this result against Liverpool, there's there's the obvious um, possibility of, of a bit of a hangover 
or or it's a, a bit of momentum. I I totally agree with you though. I think if we are in full flow and we move the ball nice and quickly, then I think we'll have too much for them. Um, maybe Callum Wilson might get on the score sheet. I'll, if if we're going to do predictions to sign off 2020, I'll go for a Leicester 3-1 win. So you go 3-1. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for 3-0. I'm going to be ambitious. Funnily enough, Wilson was mentioned uh, pre-season, wasn't he, about a, maybe coming to Leicester would be a good signing. Of course, he would have been a good signing. But there's an example of a guy who's playing first-team football regularly, who would always want to play first-team football, maybe not as a number two, wants to be the number nine. And he would be a different signing to what we would be looking for as a replacement for Kelechi Iheanacho who needs to go and play as a number nine. He needs first-team football. He needs to go and play football and, 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 and kick-start his career again, just like, say, um, a Hamza Chowdhury at a different point of call in his uh, in his career. But, uh, yeah, that's it for the podcast, and that's it for the year. So we'll be back after the Newcastle game. So a happy new year, Rob. And obviously, when we do come back, it will be uh, the transfer window open. I can't see there being an awful lot of um, signings or movements, and that's with transfer fees. I think there might be an awful lot of loan signings this year. This year of all years, I think across the Premier League, I think there's going to be a raft of loan signings with a view to a move. I think there's going to be loads and loads and loads. So I can see there being literally nothing happen at all until maybe the last couple of days and then a load of loan signings. We will see. Whatever happens next year, surely it's going to be better than this one. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed we can get back in the King Power. That's that's one of the main things, really, isn't it, when it comes to football? We need fans back in the ground and hopefully this uh, this old vaccine, jab, 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 stab, 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 get everyone sorted and um, and get us in the ground. It would be nice if we could, and I know we are technically in a Tartar race, but wouldn't it be good if we can cheer on Leicester inside of King Power to a top four finish and uh, right the wrongs of the end of last season and qualify for the Champions League ready in time for the new season with new centre-forward alongside Vardy or playing as second fiddle to Jamie Vardy, a new £40 million striker to attack the Champions League. That's the aim. That's my that's my New Year's wish, which I've said out loud, which now won't come true. But, uh, but there we go. Anyway, Happy New Year to you, Rob, and Happy New Year to all of the listeners. Mm-hmm.